0: Hi, hi, hello, hi, I'm Aparna Nancherla and welcome once again to Too Hot for Radio, the literary podcast that is basically the 120 Days of Sodom, if the Marquis de Sod was soups into consent. That's right, we bring you the saucy and salacious tales that our big sister show, Selected Shorts, can't air on public radio. Fine by us, it's not even sloppy seconds when the buttoned-up types only do over-the-clothes stuff. As you hotheads know, when you've got something on your chest, other than the chainmail you use to cosplay Lancelot, you've got to get it off. That means some kind of talking cure or outright confession. Hopefully you smart listeners have a therapist. Not because you need it, but because you kind of do need it. Or maybe you paint or write or methodically glue your fingernail clippings into busts of your favorite Looney Tunes characters. Some kind of creative catharsis that helps you get it out. Me, I've got all the usual mental health checks. And if they all fail, I've got karaoke. It's like karaoke, but everybody within 50 feet goes, "Uh uh-oh. You wouldn't think it from looking at me, would you, hotheads? And yet, I get into it. It's perfect while in the midst of a breakup or a breakdown. I just pick, say, Robin's dancing on my own and sing, snot, dance, and cry at will. I always get my own standing O and a mop bucket. Anyway, that's all to prepare you for the brief but potent story ahead of you, which was written by James Hanahan. Hanahan is the Penn Faulkner award-winning author of sharp satires including Delicious Foods and Didn't Nobody Give a Shit What Happened to Carlotta which, well, objectively, great title that really paints a picture. Hanaham's sharp satires take no prisoners, even in the seemingly innocuous context of the piece we're going to hear. Performing the story, an actor we knew that was going to absolutely go for it. Baron Vaughn is a longtime comedian and actor who has been featured on series including Grace and Frankie and the reboot of Mystery Science Theater 3000. He also hosted his own stand-up series on Comedy Central called The New Negroes. Stick around after the reading as we'll be talking to the author himself. And one final thing before we begin, our all caps content warning for the squeamish. Warning, this story is about addiction and Muppets. If you can't bear to hear yet one more bit of your childhood be possibly tainted forever, well, I'm worried about you. And now here's Baron Vaughn performing James Hannaham's Cookie Monster Shares.
1: Me name Sydney. Me have problem. Ever since me little monster, me love cookie. Me parents cookie holics. Me not have discipline at home. Me parents not pay me attention all time. They eat cookie. Me think that normal. Me sad. Me want to be cool in junior high school, so me bring cookie from home to share with other monsters. Me get validation that way. <laughs> then me grandpa die. He die of cookie-holism. <laughs> he stomach give out. Me love grandpa. Me love grandpa more than cookie. Me grades plummet. Me put in remedial program. Me drop out of high school. Me still eat cookie all time, downtown, in supermarket, in coffee shop, wherever me can find. Me sublimating me sorrow with cookie. Me kicked out of home, me destitute. Me always look for cookie. Me looking dumpster behind every elementary school, rip open garbage bag, hope for crumbs. Me sad. Me meet Oscar the Grouch while me looking through dumpsters. He introduced me to Jim Henson. And me get on kids' show and become world-famous celebrity. Me can buy all kind of cookie. Fans give me so much cookie, me not even need money. Me addiction get worse. Plus, me become megalomaniac. Cookie become me whole identity. Me first name change to Cookie. Me have four marriage. Me have four divorce. Me have kids, me kids no talk to me. They say me like cookie more than parenting. Me can see me starting cycle of pain over again. Me so sad, me attempt suicide. How? By eat cookie. (laughs) Me eat all cookie in all room of me Beverly Hills mansion. Flying crumbs all over, crumbs in sink. layer of crumbs on every surface of house. Crumbs between cushions of Italian leather sofa. Crumbs on expensive artworks and jewelry. Cookie floating on surface of infinity pool. (laughs) Me lying on floor unconscious when paramedics come. Me in so much pain. Me stomach explode. Me in cookie coma for a week. Me therapist finally convinced me me have substance abuse problem still may not come here for eight whole months. Me feel so much shame. Me feel everyone judge me. Me afraid what press say. Me think publicist have Cal. Actually, publicist is Cal. <laughs> me think me career over. Imagine, Cookie Monster, no eat cookie. Me whole career, me whole identity, based on me addiction. Nobody know me real name Sydney. Everybody think me first name Cookie, but it's not Cookie. It's Sydney, Sydney. Imagine you alcoholic and whole world call you Sherry. <laughs> it' triggering even hearing me stage name. But no more Cookie, for Cookie Monster. Me have 15 days clean, and me hoping to live rest of life Cookie free. Me want take on serious acting roles. Hamlet, Willie Loman, James Tyrone. Me want relationship with me kids. Me want find out who real Sydney and show world.
0: So much for taking the time to speak with me. I loved your story so much, and Baron's reading of it was just uh, perfect. What was your association with Cookie Monster before you wrote this story? Like, what was it? Was there something in the character that called out to you about something deeper needing to be told?
2: No, it was really just about his voice. There was there was actually something I read that a student of mine wrote. And it reminded me of Cookie Monster. And I was like, are you trying to write in the, I knew he wasn't trying to write in the voice of Cookie Monster, but I was like, someone should do that. <laughs> and, then, and then the rest of it just kind of like, well, what would Cookie Monster, you know, what could he say? And I thought, you know, I'd wrote, written this book, uh, Delicious Foods that uh, deals to a, a large degree with um, issues involving addiction. Um, and I thought, well, you know, Cookie Monster is clearly an addict. He's got a story to tell.
0: I know, he's pretty open about it, really. We're just-
2: well, yeah, I mean, that's the idea. Is that he's He's gone to, like, Cookies Anonymous or whatever, and he's standing up and telling his story.
0: Yeah, and so you do, you know, write a lot of very sharp satire, and satire can often involve revisiting you know um, emblems of childhood from and then seeing them through an adult context is there something about that that compels you
2: well i mean it's a, a sort of funny thing to um to consider right that you wouldn't consider as a child yeah um when you're a kid you look at cookie monster and it's he's just about like your own id he's like You know, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I identify with that. I want cookies all the time too, right? But then I think a more mature person might look at it in a darker, let's call it a darker sort of light. Yes. (laughs) That makes sense.
0: You know, sometimes people say, I laugh to keep from crying. That's like a cliche you hear. Mm -hmm. I do feel like there's a sense, sense of that in your work and that you're getting at like deeper issues through the lens of humor. Do you relate to that idea at all? Do you see it as something you espouse? I think it's
2: actually the other way around. I think I get to humor through the, you know, Mm. through the other stuff. And I, you know, I find myself attracted to the dark stuff and then thinking to myself, oh my God, how am I, I'm asking people to like trudge through this with me how can I actually get myself and other people through all of this? It's kind of what people do anyway is, you know, when they're confronted with situations that are horrible, they have to find some way to, to not necessarily laugh at it, but in some way to make it, to get through it, to, to get past it. In, in life, one encounters a lot of situations that are horrible. Yeah. Hopefully not too many, but I mean, we're all, sort of bound the same way when it comes to life. So we're all sort of on the way to this bad ending. Right. Um, and we have to, you know, get through the bad endings of other people a lot of the time before we meet our own. You know, we have to get through that. And, and one way of doing it is to to notice all of the sort of crazy things that happen that are unexpected and not just to dwell on, you know, the, the existential horror that awaits us because it isn't all, it isn't all depressing. It's all, you know, it's partially funny. It's a lot absurd. There are a lot of sort of crazy questions one can ask oneself along the way. And that I think is, you know, sort of the way to get through life, right? Without being like, Oh man, why bother to do anything? You know, like, well, because, because the journey.
0: And, you know, in using, satire to wrestle with these bigger themes do you you feel like um like you know you've written novels and short stories do you feel like the way you have to kind of pace it or frame it is a little different in a short story versus in a in a longer form version
2: no not really
0: yeah (laughs) it's just
2: it's sort of it's a it's a kind of lens right yes you can look at just about anything you know like it doesn't even doesn't even have to be fiction it, does, it doesn't have to be a short story it doesn't have to be a novel it could be like i don't know uh an electrical light socket it could be right you know a play it could be it could be an apple
0: yeah well like for example with your recent novel didn't nobody give a shit what happened to carlotta you were thank you from... so
2: much for getting yeah. the title right
0: why do, do people get oh, it my wrong God.
2: so many people have like said Didn't know, don't nobody care about Carlotta. Like every, I've heard everything.
0: Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) The novel is based kind of around the Odyssey, you know, as as a reframing of that. Was there something in the carceral state that made you think of Homer?
2: It wasn't exactly that. It was that I had started writing the book already and Mm -hmm. um, it's about somebody who's coming back from traumatic events in upstate New York Um, And if you know upstate New York at all, you might have noticed that there are a lot of municipalities upstate that are named after classical literature, like different things in classical literature. And that's because of this one guy named Robert Harper in the office after the Revolutionary War that was like carving up indigenous people's land that they had took and giving it to Revolutionary War soldiers um they this guy was a classical literature buff and he he was in charge of naming things and so he was just like okay let's name it after homer let's name it after <laughs> troy okay and i think that actually caught on i think not i think there are more things that are named after classical references in upstate new york than there are ones that he named so i think it just became a kind of trend
0: it made me think of Ithaca. I was like, "Oh, that gives that more context."
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ithaca, exactly. That was one yeah. of the ones I was like, "Oh, I have to use this." Yeah. Um, so, so I realized that by re- by writing about somebody coming back from upstate New York and all of these classical things, mm-hmm. I was actually sort of rewriting the Odyssey without, ah. you know, I, I, you know, I always think it's kind of fun to be aware of the the uh, progenitors of the stories you, you might be telling, like literary, yes. you know, you know, literary history, essentially like the, you know, this idea that there aren't, there are not, there are, there's like a finite number of stories and, you know, you just happen to be telling a particular one that's already been told. And if you can kind of pinpoint which one it is, you can sort of, you know, work it in there. If you, if you find a way to do it, it's also kind of a tired idea to, use the Odyssey as a basis for your work. <laughs> so, and I was like, man, you know, everybody has done that. But that was the, the moment at which my husband, who is of I, was Irish-American descent, took me to Ireland for the first time. And I brought a copy of Ulysses, which I knew to be one of the sort of most famous examples of a book that, that takes the Odyssey and sort of tries to rework, rework it in some way. And I thought, I, I know what I'll do. I'll use them both. Wow. I'll make it really difficult for myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, that's kind of how that happened. And you're not really supposed to know that when you read the book. I don't think it's, I think it's not at all necessary to know that when you read the book. Yeah. But if you do and you like the book and you want to go back and read the other t- texts that it refers to, then that's great. But I, I can't stand books that make you feel like you should read other books before you.
0: Right, right, right. Your gallery work, like the exhibit Card Tricks, is is consistently funny. Do you, uh, like, you know, galleries aren't typically thought of as the funniest places. Is there a desire to kind of bring more humor into your visual work?
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, it's something that uh, clearly, it's something that I do. It's something that's part of my practice. Humor. Yeah. And so I, I feel like there's I'm never going to do anything without like a sort of cheekiness, I don't think. I mean, yeah. maybe I will at some point, just to see if I can do it, right? Totally. Um, but I know that it's some, it's like something that I can do relatively easily, and um, it's not something that everybody can do relatively easily, so it's one thing that I know can set my work apart.
0: Right. yeah.
2: and I've always been you know a lo- a lot of humorists. It's, it sounds funny to call some of them humorists because they were so dirty, but, <laughs> but a lot of humorists were a huge inspiration to me as a, as a kid or like people who were just funny and weird, like Laurie Anderson. Or...
0: And uh, lastly, one more question I have, uh, that's kind of a broader one. Are there any short story writers that you would recommend to other people that maybe they haven't heard of anyone new or long overlooked?
2: Uh, new or long overlooked, Susan Steinberg is fantastic. She's one, one of my favorite. She's she's got a kind of experimental. Fa- I don't think she's ex- as experimental as other people seem to, because I just think she's amazing. Um, and uh, Amy Hempel.
0: But yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time, and I'm yeah, the story was wonderful. So thank you. Thank you for writing it. So, did you feel it? That final beloved character from your childhood dying? Much like Baron's voice did at the end of that story? Much like my voice does after every time I scream-sob torn by Natalie Brulia at Koreatown's famed Pharaoh Karaoke? Well, listen, maybe it was just time. Time to let go of childish things. To see the Muppets for what they truly are. Reflections of those people who have hands way up those fuzzy monsters' tiny butts. Maybe you disagree, and vehemently. I know I do. No one can take the Muppets away from me. In fact, my therapist is going to hear all about it. That's right, I have a real one too. Our show is produced by Jennifer Brennan and Mary Shimkin. Our podcast producer and editor is Colleen Pellisier. This episode was recorded at the San Francisco Sketch Fest. Matthew Love is our consulting producer. Our theme song is by Poddington Bear. I'm Aparna Charla, Thanks for joining us for Selected Shorts, Too Hot for Radio.